Jumpstart your healthy resolutions with reduced pricing on all my favorite supplements from Thorne. Right now, my entire curated selection of Thorne supplements is 20% off, including Thorne's cutting-edge brain support formula, Cinequel. I've added Cinequel to my personal daily regimen to fight off cognitive decline. Cinequel is rich in the best researched ingredients that help support brain function. Its active ingredients help maintain cellular energy production, encourage a healthy balance of inflammatory cytokines, kinds, provide energy to fuel the nerves, support neurotransmitter production, and protect against oxidative stress. It's available in two strengths, Cinequel for everyday maintenance and Cinequel Plus, which provides higher amounts of specific nutrients for shorter-term support after impact-related head injury. Just go to DearHoffman.com Thorn for 20% off Cinequel, as well as my entire curated selection of Thorn products. That's DearHoffman.com Thorn. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. It's our weekly opportunity to answer your questions. Questions come to questions at drhoffman.net. And we're a little bit short in our mailbag due to the holidays. Uh, Presumably many of you were busy, but it's time to rev up your inquisitiveness and uh, send us questions and or comments. They can be comments too because... uh, We enjoy comments if you've had a particularly interesting health experience and you want to share it. Perhaps you've undertaken one of the therapies that we talk about here on Intelligent Medicine. You've tried a supplement or you've tried an exercise regimen or you've done something different and you've seen some results. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Or if you have a suggestion, uh, your favorite treatment for warts, for example. (laughs) Uh, Oh, (laughs) yeah. We had a question on that last week, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, whatever. You know, so uh, we enjoy uh-huh. your comments as usual. Questions at drhoffman.net. Hello, Layla. How are you doing? Okay, Dr. Hoffman. How are you? Good. You're kind of emerging into the kind of uh, the calm of January after a tumultuous uh, Christmas holidays. I'm kind of glad it's over with yeah. because, uh, yeah, there's sort of a freneticism around uh, the holidays, uh, Hanukkah and Christmas mm-hmm. and uh, gift giving and, uh, you know, kinds of buying and returning merchandise and parties and <laughs> get togethers. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm kind of looking forward to a little bit of uh, routine and normalcy. Um, right, some quiet, some quiet winter. Yeah, both of us wrote last week about uh, some suggestions for uh, January uh, and the yeah. New Year's, the New Year's resolution. I mean, it's kind of a little trite to say, you know, what's your New Year's resolution? Because uh, the dark side of New Year's resolutions is that most of them uh, are uh, violated by uh, around this time this month. You know, you may have sustained it for a week or two. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Some of them are hard to keep too, and but you know we did come up with uh, some some challenges. Uh, I focused on uh, some diet challenges. You know uh, the mm-hmm. if you go to our newsletter or if you subscribe to our newsletter, uh, we talked about uh, keto diet. We talked about the whole thirty, which is a nice thing to undertake in the month of January in a spirit of rectitude. It really is. 
and or mm. uh, time-restricted eating, you know, limit your eating mm-hmm. window because everybody's desirous of uh, detoxing and maybe losing a couple of pounds that we gained over the holidays. Um, yeah. Talk also about uh, a sleep reset, you know, investigate mm-hmm. your sleep. Of course, we've got dry January, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, we also have uh, exercise challenges, you know, whatever exercise challenge is your challenge, you know, whether it's uh, walk uh, 5,000 steps or walk 10,000 steps a day or, you know, do a certain number of push-ups or uh, wall squats, you know, whatever it is that you right. to build up to during the month of January. And, you know, and- Resolve to make it a regular thing. Uh, in, in my article about New Year's Eve, is to look a little more joyfully and have more self-compassion, to have a winning mindset. Because life is a big gray area. For every three steps forward, maybe there's two steps backward where you find that you fall off the program and you kind of lose your way, your compass on getting back onto, you know, the straight and narrow once again. Well, guess what? That's life and have a little bit more compassion and don't throw it all out the window. You don't have to be mad about it. Yeah. You could just say, hey, I could start this right this moment right now again. So start again. Exactly. You and have I, every day to start again. I thought you that know. was a very refreshing perspective because I think people get caught up in this uh, thing. It's sort of a cycle of uh, uh, commitment, uh, uh, breaking commitment and regret. And that's kind of yes, the definition of addiction yes. is, you know, people who are sort of on and off the wagon, uh, you know, and uh-huh. then when they, you know, when they... Uh, relapse, uh, you know, smoke a cigarette or, you know, uh, yeah, fall off the wagon and, you know, and have, uh, you know, a bottle of wine or something mm-hmm. like that. All of a sudden, uh, there's a lot of remorse, you know, or, you know, that yeah. when you eat that uh, package of Oreos or something like that or you dive into the pint of ice cream and, you know, you just kind of have to yeah. pick yourself up, dust yourself up and walk on because life is, like you say, it's a shade of gray. It's not always... Uh, you know, we see so many role models, you know, the people like, for example, I'll give you an example. Uh, I'm in yeah. a Facebook group, which is cycling, cycling over 70. OK. And so wow. it's already a bit of a select group. You know, it's people who are still cycling actively over 70. And mm-hmm. so uh, I consider myself, you know, a, a moderately good cyclist. And, you know, I, I even throughout January, uh, you know, I'll be out cycling with my cold my cold uh, weather gear uh, and, you know, going Mm. substantial distances, you know, uh, 15, 20 miles or more uh, over hilly terrain. But that is nothing compared to the exploits of some of the people on this. And it it, it could be a little discouraging because, okay, I'm 71 and, you know, I I got Mm -hmm. my statistics for the year and uh, I think I cycled like uh, nearly – 2,000 miles, something like that, or 2,200 miles or something like that. Terrific. And I I climbed, you know, 49,000 feet, okay? And that sounds like a lot, Mm -hmm. but that's a year. So in a year, okay. Um, Wow. Then they're the folks who post on this Facebook group. uh, Oh, yeah, I'm 83, and I just cycled from Tierra del Fuego in the southern tip of South America to Barrow, Alaska. (laughs) It's like... (laughs) Oh, wow. It's like, you know, and, uh, 
it's encouraging in a way, but it's also discouraging in a way because, you know, you have the example of these people who are like, you know, completely shredded bodies uh, who are like uh, logging 10 times the money, you know, like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll see you and I'll raise you 10,000. You know, I, I did. Oh, but my God, to be 83 and do that. That's you know, fantastic. That, I, it's something to look forward to. It, that may know. be a little hyperbolic, but, you know, I'm just saying, giving you an example <laughs> of, you know, some of the posts that I that I see on Facebook. And, you know, I think that's another thing I suggested is that maybe people take uh, take the month for a social media fast. You know, because oh, yeah. uh, it can actually have a beneficial Excellent effect idea. on your mental health. There's too much. Uh, uh, I love the term uh, FOMO, fear of missing out. Mm-hmm. Some people have asked, mm-hmm. you know, what is FOMO, For fear of missing out? It's like comparing yourself to other people and what they're doing. And why aren't I yeah. doing that? Or why don't I have the house that's this beautiful? Or why don't I have, you know, uh, right. a beautiful uh, and, you know, and Dr. family? Hoffman- yeah. Hang on, Dr. Hoffman, you just gave the, the classic example. You were discouraged by the 83-year-olds yeah, who right. liked from the southern tip of, right? I mean, but that that's what we're talking about more than anything. It, it, you know, there needs to be more support amongst uh, these networks or what we surround ourselves with, not just friends, family, physically, and we need more and more of that. But even in the social media realm, you know, you don't want to hang with, you don't want to hang with trolls. You don't want to hang with or respond to them or mm-hmm. be discouraged by any of them because yep. you know if you met them face to face, that would not, that response would not be there. You and know, certainly, that trolls th- response. Those people are very findable on uh, social media. You know, people with a lot of uh, oh, negativity, yeah. and especially with the the political divide that we're experiencing. And uh, you know, uh, you you can actually. Uh, find yourself uh, engaged in a lot of negativity. So uh, it's there, you know, if you want to engage in it, okay. But if you also want to disengage with it, it, you might find it insightful to see what it's like to go for a month without. Um, Same thing for the news. I know you're a big advocate of uh, uh, abstinence from excessive uh, social media use. Uh, You're not on social media except for the, you know, things that we post on your behalf. Uh, but we don't. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Right, but you know, you're like my agent. <laughs> exactly, I'm, I'm, I'm your publicist. Uh, but you're my publicist. Thank yeah. you. So, uh, on a different note, uh, I'm excited because I have a whole lot of great podcasts that I'm going to be doing mm. this, this month, and I'm excited uh, in particular about one of them that I'm going to do uh, this week. I'll record it this week, and you'll, you'll probably hear it uh, next week. Um, actually, you may, just mm-hmm. depending on the timing, you may have already heard it, uh, depending on when these, because we pre-record these podcasts, and they drop you know, sometimes a few days after we record them. Uh, I'll be interviewing uh, Georgia E., who's a good colleague of mine, uh, at the American Nutrition Association. She's the author of a book that just come out called Ready for this? Change your diet, yeah. change your mind. Great, great title, ah. right? A powerful plan oh, to improve yeah. mood, overcome anxiety, and protect memory for a lifetime of optimal mental health. Uh, so, um, and now here's what she writes, and I think you're going to find this hmm. right in your wheelhouse. Uh, by the way, she's a Harvard-trained psychiatrist. Uh, wow. And uh, she 
has many years of clinical experience, including uh, years at Smith College and Harvard University Health Services, which is great because she has mm-hmm. direct contact with a lot of the uh, young uh, you know, college students and graduate students there. Uh, she offers nutrition-based approaches as an alternative to psychiatric medication. So, man, I wish she'd been around oh, when fantastic. I was in college. You know, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So what she says, it's interesting. She says, um, change your diet, change your mind will empower you to understand how unscientific research methods drive fickle nutrition headlines in illogical dietary guidelines. We're down with that, right? Oh, I love it. Um, I love it. And she also says okay. that we've been told the way we to protect our brains is with superfoods, supplements, and plant-based diets rich in whole grains and legumes. But the science mm. tells a different story. Not only do these strategies often <sighs> fail, but some can even work against us. The truth about brain Absolutely. food is that meat is not dangerous. Vegan diets are not healthier. And quaffing lots of antioxidants are not the answer. So she's mm. going to... Um, mm-hmm enlighten us uh, in a podcast that I'm going to record tomorrow. So, and then, you know, we've got several great ones uh, scheduled for the month. Uh, mm-hmm. I, we're doing a little bit, folks, today of what's called vamping in radio is like when the, sometimes the phone lines don't work. Mm. And so what we do is we just kind of, oh. you know, kind of dance along with topics of our own choosing because we actually don't have that many questions. Yes. Today. Um, so what we have scheduled is we have Mark Blumenthal from the American Botanical Council. He is like the professor emeritus of botanical medicine. Yes. So we're going to ask him all kinds of questions about uh, herbs and, you know, some of the latest research on that. Um, mm-hmm. We're, we're going to uh, talk about uh, uh, with Tom Duell, who's got a book entitled Medicating mm-hmm. Our Problems Away. A pharma insider ah. offers alternative view, okay? Because basically, he's going to be talking about the excesses of the pharmaceutical industry. Um, we yes. have Gary Taubus has a new book. Uh, Gary Taubus is the guy ah. who uh, is the advocate of the very low carb diet for diabetes mm-hmm. and for met- mm-hmm. metabolic optimization. A big defender of meat. Uh, we've got. Um, Let's see. I've got a haircut on third. No, that's another. <laughs> uh, we've got a great interview with the guy, uh, Dr. David Clark, on ending chronic pain, which is I think mm. such a big problem in America. And yeah. uh, uh, so we're, we're going to and the use of pain medications. Yeah. yeah so we're going to have okay. some really good uh, content going forward into January and February. I'm very excited. Uh, we actually terrific. have uh, an interesting comment, right, uh, about... We do. An interview? Just you want to read that? Yes, yes, yeah. Uh, from This is from Louise. Uh, Louise says, first of all, Happy New Year to you and Layla, and I look forward to more 2024 podcasts and all the things I will learn this year. Thank you, Louise. L- Louise sends us questions time to time. She says, I really like this interview with Dr. Sussman. I was fascinated by his connection of hemoglobin A1C results and blood sugar results and how at times there is a disconnect between the two. Mm-hmm. Yes. So uh, let's explain mm-hmm. what we're talking. By the way, there's 
There's a song yeah. on one of the diabetes medication ads on TV, something, I'm down with rebelsis, I'm getting my hemoglobin A1C, uh, you know, down with, you know, with... Oh, uh, right. I, I can't right. sing the song, but I... I okay. So that what's happening is, like five or ten years ago, only physicians and people like us knew what hemoglobin A1C was. But now it's mm -hmm. becoming, you know, just like uh, the word... Uh, you know, comorbidity, you know, came into its own during COVID. Uh, the mm -hmm. hemoglobin A1C is now in the popular parlance because it's like the thing that you look at that you lower when you take these drugs, you know. Yes. Uh, and, and, and the, the number they're looking for for people with type 2 diabetes is below seven is always the goal. Below seven. But that's, still, that's not hemoglobin that great. A1C. That's not that mm -hmm. great. That would it's make not. Dr. It's not. Dr. David Perlmutter very unhappy is if you were 6.9. Yeah. Because he recognizes mm -hmm. that even, uh, at intermediate levels, so-called non-diabetic levels, uh, you may have acceleration of, uh, heart damage and especially brain damage. So we really want to yeah. get it low. Uh, but so mm -hmm. you, you want to take a crack at uh, explaining what hemoglobin A1C is? And, yes. Know, embellish. Yeah. Yeah. Hemoglobin A1C is a marker of average blood sugar over a 12-week period, over a three-month period. And it's often used to see where somebody's blood sugar is, whether they have diabetes, whether they're on medications, to see if those medications have made an impact. It's a very common blood test for those with blood sugar issues or diabetes to see where they're at. So hemoglobin A1C, like in the range of 5, 5.2, 5.3, up to about 5.7, let's just say 4.8 to 5.6 would be considered the normal range. And as soon as we hit 5.7, we've now knocked on the door called to the house called pre-diabetes and walked into the foyer. So that's what we're doing at 5.7. And if we continue into that house and we reach... 6.4, hemoglobin A1C of 6.4, we call that full-blown type 2 diabetes. But Dr. Hoffman, I know you kind of call it that at 6.2-ish, Exactly. You? Yeah. And we would really love to see, uh, for optimization, everybody's hemoglobin A1C to be 5.6 or lower. Uh, but that's yes. optimal. Optimal. Uh, yeah. Now, all too often, uh, physicians... In conventional practice, we'll see somebody who's like, you know, 68 or 72 or 77, and their hemoglobin A1C is like 5.9 or something like that. And they'll go, eh, you know, you're older. There's no biggie. You know, that's the way it is. When mm. you get older, you, you mm -hmm. know, just like blood pressure gets uh, higher, uh, your hemoglobin A1C gets a little higher. No biggie. Don't worry about it. No, yeah. I think yeah. people should strive to lower their hemoglobin A1C. Uh, just, the physiology of it is, is that, uh, hemoglobin is the protein, uh, by the way, uh, discovered by Linus Pauling. You know, uh, he was responsible for that. Uh, that's one of his big uh, really? innovations. Yeah. Uh, is wow. the, uh, protein that is, contains, uh, iron. So it's hemoglobin, mm -hmm. uh, that is essential for oxygen carrying capacity in the red blood cell. <laughs> So why is it that it is three months or, you know, four months between hemoglobin A1C determinations is that's the average lifespan of a red blood cell is 120 days. 
So if you check your hemoglobin mm-hmm. A1C and you go, oh my goodness, I'm going to get on a diet. I'm going to check it in a couple of weeks. Like, no, because it's going to take right. 120 days for you to have a whole new population of red blood cells. Now, yeah. hemoglobin A1C is glycosylated hemoglobin. Proteins become glycosylated. This is called you know, uh, advanced uh, glycosylation end products of proteins. The mm-hmm. sugar uh, interacts with the protein in a browning reaction, uh, just like caramelization, you know, in, you know, if you yes. want to, if you want to, you know, put caramelize your meat, you know, you put a little like, uh, I don't know, uh, some kind of sugary thing on, on the surface and then put it like on Like a barbecue, yeah. Yeah, like a barbecue mm-hmm. sauce. And then mm-hmm. you get caramelization. Well, that's right. like rapid caramelization, slow caramelization or glycosylation occurs in your blood in the presence of glucose. And so the principle is that the more glucose you have, the more glycosylated your hemoglobin will be. But it's a process that, you know, for 120 days is going to uh, reflect your uh, average glucose, average glucose. So that's mm-hmm. you know way better because somebody may say, oh my goodness, I did a finger stick this morning. My glucose was 120. That's too high. Well, let's see what it is average over uh, yes. three months or four months. Now, yeah. this listener comments that uh, I interviewed Dr. Sussman and he said, you know, hemoglobin A1C isn't all that revelatory. There can be distortions and there can be discrepancies. So let's yeah. talk about how you can go wrong with hemoglobin A1C because uh, let's say you have a hemoglobin A1C of, uh, I don't know, let's, you know, 5.8. Okay, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. But where could that go wrong? Okay. Oh, that could go over. We have to remember, first of all, that a hemoglobin A1C is an average of over the three months. It does not tell you specifically how high is high, how low is low, how unstable is the blood sugar, how high is the blood sugar. It's an average. average. Okay. Mm-hmm. And really, it's the outliers we want to be concerned about. Because, Dr. Hoffman, you and I over the years have seen that, that disconnect between uh, a hemoglobin A1C result and a full-on five-hour glucose tolerance test result yes, yes. where we get a real picture of what's going on, where we see, oh, wow, this is showing prediabetes. This is showing hyperinsulinism. This is showing hypoglycemia. But it says here your hemoglobin A1C is a 5.2, yes, which exactly. is in the normal range. So, so, and we've right? seen that. And so, so, uh, yes. so, for example, can a person who has a hemoglobin A1C of, say, let's say 5.8, Six, which is, you know, on the cusp of mm-hmm. normal. Can they be, I mean, that's a f- slightly high normal uh, yes. hemoglobin A1C or, you know, high yeah. in the optimal range. Could they be hypoglycemic? Could they have low blood sugar? Could you say, oh, no, no way could you be hypoglycemic? Right. And you can't say that with scientific certainty right. because, again, you're looking at, at an, an average. average. Yes, exactly. Right, so, right, right. So, you know, if, if, you're, if your blood sugar is going to, you know, 55 and your highs are 115, again, smack dab in the middle of that would be kind of normal. So you look at that one average number and you say, oh no, there's no hypoglycemia present. You can't come to that conclusion only looking at a hemoglobin A1C. So the other now, factor that is, if, yeah. excuse me, the other factor that um, that is involved mm-hmm. is the life of 
your blood of your blood cells the mm-hmm. the not everyone has blood cells that last 120 days and in uh-huh. anemia iron deficiency anemia elevates hemoglobin a1c levels in di- diabetic individuals uh yes. who, when they have controlled uh glucose so mm-hmm. You can get a spurious elevation, and it's a kind of a technical thing. It's just that you have, um, you may have uh, less time or more time for the um, glycosylation process to occur. Yeah. The other thing that can raise A1C as well as just a, a regular fasting blood glucose may be an infection, something as simple as a cold sniffles or anything like that, that can also spuriously raise A1C. So I tell everybody, you know, when you're getting a blood test and you've just gotten over the flu or you have the flu or something, don't get tested for that. We're going to see a kind of high blood sugar that wouldn't normally be seen if you were not sick. Exactly. And that's another way that Especially especially in in diabetics, their blood sugar goes completely wacko when they're sick. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the reasons why we have to be careful when we have a, you know, poorly controlled diabetic and then they get COVID and their blood sugar can put them into the emergency room. Um, Okay. Another test, another test, Dr. Hoffman, that we like, but isn't commonly uh, offered, I think because insurance doesn't pick it up, is the glycomark blood test. Glycomark, yes, because that shows the excursions. That shows how much uh, it deviates from the mean. So the, you know, ups and downs, right? Yeah. Right. It shows the true variability of blood sugar. Okay. And with the glycomark test, yeah. Go, go ahead. With the gly- yeah, with the glycomark test, too low is not good. The lower the number, the lower the glycomark blood test result, the more variability, the more instability, hmm. the okay. wide range that the blood sugars are going, going from a 60 to 100 and something and, and back again and, and okay. so forth. What so the, the glycomark is an interesting test. What about a fasting insulin? What can that tell you that the blood sugar oh, I think, test is I not think- going to reveal? I, I wish a fasting insulin would be as common as a fasting glucose mm-hmm. yep. because that would be huge. It could show hyperinsulinism. Mm-hmm. It could show too little insulin, especially in a diabetic who is now very, very late stage and their pancreas mm-hmm. isn't secreting the amount of insulin that it once right. used to. So this could tell us a whole lot of things, as well as the proxies to uh, a blood test for insulin would be uh, a C-peptide, a fructosamine, but a fasting insulin is terrific and that's something that often is not offered in a five-hour glucose tolerance test unless you request it yeah yeah and that's because that insulin is showing us how it's impacting the blood sugar exactly so you may have an inappropriately high insulin which indicates propensity to metabolic syndrome and you may you may have ostensibly normal hemoglobin a1c or ostensibly normal blood glucose when you do finger sticks uh, we are actually going to interview a CGM guy uh, this mm. month. I forgot to tell you that uh, he's going to talk about Great. the utility of the, of the uh, continuous glucose monitoring, not just for diabetics, but for the average person. I think it's going to be very uh, useful for some people to get a CGM and see how uh, exercise, sleep, 
and stress and certainly diet have an impact on their blood sugar and, you know, so that they can take remedial action. They don't have to wear one, you know, 24-7, 365 throughout the year. But a month or so of that experience, I think, can be very revelatory in terms of uh, what's going on with blood sugar. That may be better than an occasional finger stick. But insulin is a good proxy wow. for that because it will actually show you um, how prone you are to metabolic syndrome or insulin resistance, yeah. right? So that's a good yes. test to consider. Yes. All right. Good. good and, just- and another thing. Oh, oh, are we done in part one? That's okay. <laughs> no, keep going. You're on a roll. You're on a roll. Keep going. Okay. We're on a roll. The, the other thing, the other thing about the, that insulin is, yeah, your blood sugar numbers are shown to be normal. That's because insulin, there's so much of it built up that it's taking care of that mm-hmm. for you. Yeah. But the other thing all that insulin is doing is keeping you in chronic fat storage mode. Mm-hmm. It's creating small, dense, atherogenic LDL. Yes. Raising your blood pressure. The, It'll even raise your blood it's pressure. It's raising your blood pressure. It causes all these these uh, disruptions and distortions makes fatty liver. in your lipid profile. Makes fatty yes, liver. it makes fatty liver. High triglycerides, Mm -hmm. all of that kind of thing. And that's why it's so important. And insulin is not given enough importance in being looked at this. They look at the blood sugar and say, oh, these these numbers are normal and send you on your way. But you have to ask, why is it normal? If there's this mountain of insulin being created, that's causing other problems. And that needs to be caught. That needs to be dealt with. And and finally, another test that I find useful is if you got a skinny person, who doesn't look like they have metabolic syndrome? They don't have a pot belly, um, and yeah. uh, they're on a you know pretty good diet, and yeah, uh, but their blood sugar is high. Uh, you may want to do what's called a C peptide because C peptide is even more accurate than insulin at telling you whether your pancreas is is on its way out in terms of producing insulin. If you're oh, wow, so that mm. is sometimes uh, you know called uh, a, adult onset uh, diabetes of the young or. Uh, mature mm-hmm. onset diabetes of the young, MODI, it's sometimes called, or was called when I was in med school. Um, and and that is something that uh, can happen sometimes as you age, your pancreas uh, wears out, especially as uh, alcoholics are prone to that because they kind of kill their pancreas Yes, um, with the alcohol yeah. consumption. So anyway, so C-peptide, that's another. T- so we have a bunch of tools at our disposal to analyze your blood sugar. Okay, great stuff. Um well, all right. Um, we I think we have at least a, a question or two for part two. Um, so yes. let's pause. And when we return, uh, more of today's discussion. Um, I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Today with Layla Muden. Questions come to questions at drhoffman.net. Let's fill up our mailbag for next week because it's back to work time. You guys got to get back on, on the job sending us questions. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, <laughs> and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.